Content warning. Film Fiends discusses movies that often feature extreme and or offensive subject matter. You have been warned. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Film Fiends, the podcast where we talk about all things related to horror film. My name's Alex. And this is Bryant. And thank you for coming once again to our second episode, which, again, if all things go to plan, should be releasing Friday the 13th. Ooh, yeah. We uh, just happened to land on two dates that we were really excited about. Uh, The first, of course, being Halloween, which we did get released uh, for our first episode, October 31st. And our uh, goal will be to release this show uh, every Mm -hmm. other week. Uh, And so we talked about when that next date might be, and we saw that November 13th was just about two weeks. So... (laughs) Uh, that was a really exciting moment for us. If you are joining, oh, sorry, we had a little phone noise there. <laughs> if uh, you were uh, listening to the first episode, thank you so much for joining us again. And uh, we hope to continue seeing you all in the future. Excellent. Yeah, not a superstitious person by nature, but uh, when it comes to horror movies, I definitely uh, do everything. So Friday the 13th, yeah. Absolutely. If, excellent. Had I think to do I just it. saw a black cat run by. <laughs> all righty. So. I think we are into horror news then. Um, Yeah, this is actually a new recurring segment that we're going to be doing for the first time this episode, uh, just simply called Horror News. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be uh, a little section right at the start Mm -hmm. where we give you guys all an update about the cool new things that are happening in the genre. So I'm going to launch into what I am probably the most excited about right now that I heard in the previous week is that Jordan Peele's next project is finally announced. Okay, okay. After a whole bunch of him executive producing and launching the Twilight Zone and yada yada never saw that i watched the first episode and it was all right okay sure i am a hardcore twilight zone fan and i will i will eventually go back and watch it i just don't don't have uh access to it right now anyway moving on his next project people under the stairs uh remake of kind of a more obscure west craven movie all right you know, I think it's a classic for some people, but, you know, definitely less, obscure, you know, more obscure than something like uh, Hills Have Eyes sure, or uh, sure. Scream or Nightmare on Elm Street. Absolutely. Those household names, you might say. But uh, excited for him to kind of give more uh, more attention to it. I actually admittedly have not seen the original, so that's on my plan to uh, catch up real quick. I have not either, and I guess I'll have to put it on the docket as well. Jordan Peele, someone mm-hmm. who I really, really love and admire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Get Out was, of course, a fantastic film, though I will say that Us didn't quite land for me. Uh, I was expecting it or hoping for it to be uh, really scary. Uh, Jordan Peele had kind of billed it as his take on the horror movie. And uh, I actually saw it in theaters with Bryant again, as you might notice is a trend that we tend to watch a lot of movies together. Um, And I was laughing so much that uh, if you remember me talking about my laugh barometer from episode one, uh, it really tilted uh, toward the other direction and ended up kind of goofy for me. Still enjoyable, but just not a very scary film. Hmm. I really wound up enjoying us. I Yeah, I think the premise is a little goofy and I don't fully buy it or take it all too seriously. Uh, that being said, there were some uh, there were some kind of great visuals, some great threatening moments. And uh, I think it had a little more bloodlust than uh, Get Out. So I think I appreciated that. I think there's the one big exterior of the house where the whole family gets gets killed right in front of you, kind of splattered on the glass. And that that was, was a nice scene. I just was unfortunately laughing the whole time. So right, it was you know <laughs> just something a little more yeah a little more with an edge to it. Right, right. I love Get Out too, but uh, there was yeah there was that little bit of uh, us that I liked. So sure. 
that he's picking a project like People Under the Stairs that I kind of peeked at the uh, synopsis a little bit. And it's it's kind of a grimy, kind of weird, like threatening children kind of movie. So I'm kind of interested to see if this one has a little teeth to it, too. Yeah, I'm excited for that as well. Uh, so moving on from Jordan Peele to probably my next favorite modern uh, horror director, Robert Eggers, yes. third movie coming up. Roger e Robert Eggers coming coming off the lighthouse after, you know, the witch, mm -hmm. the witch blew up and yes. then he followed it up with the lighthouse kind of a few years later. It took him a while to get that one, but it seems like his next one is moving along more quickly. It's going to be called The Northman. It's going to be a 10th century Viking epic, and yes. the cast is stacked. Um, so I'm kind of uh, definitely going to be anticipating this one. Who do we got on there? It's got uh, Nicole Kidman, Alexander Skarsgård, mm. Willem Dafoe, News oh, You Know. Oh, good, yes. Where he's coming back to people that he's worked with before. Mm -hmm. uh, Ethan Hawke, who turns in some great performances every now and then. He's fine. I actually just he's watched totally him fine. in Boyhood, where it was that like 20-year-long okay. yeah. filmed thing. So that one was crazy. I, last thing I saw him in was like this 20-year span of Ethan Hawke acting. Uh, we got Bjork in one of her coming back to film again. That's nuts. She does it, yeah. And Anya Taylor-Joy. Oh, Reuniting my. back from The Witch. My so, God, one of my favorite actresses this, and someone who we may be talking about a little bit later. Just well. may, just may. Uh, what else do we got? Uh, we've had several big announcements of franchises coming back. Uh, the Halloween Kills teaser trailer was just on the YouTube. Yes. So we got that coming. I don't know. I, it always gets me kind of going to see it. Sure. I liked that last one. I think that we got a lot of the same behind the camera talent coming back for it. And of course, we got Jamie Lee Curtis too. Yeah, we did like that. Uh, I think as we mentioned last episode, we were fans of the new Halloween um, kind of I guess reboot sequel is kind of what it is because it's a sequel to the original Halloween movie, ignoring the rest the, of the sequels in the franchise. The sequel to Halloween called Halloween. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, the, yeah, least, the least confusing like, thing since Xbox One, yeah. <laughs> which is actually the third of the Xboxes. Exactly. Um, but anyway, crossing wires a little bit there. Oh, uh, that's funny. So yeah, we got a new Halloween also on the big franchises coming back. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. All right. We don't got too many specifics on that yet. I think sure. we just had a teaser image, but you know, it's always good to see. You gotta, you gotta, gotta keep the horror aesthetic with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's kind of hard to stray too far from what uh, what people like about it. Let's just hope it's in 3D. Am I right? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's always been the strongest entry. Yeah. In. Oh yeah, Texas. Uh, I think it's actually was just called Chainsaw 3D or something or Texas Chainsaw, but without the the. I don't know. Whatever. I hate the trend of sequel <laughs> titles getting shorter. Getting shorter and shorter. Getting shorter and not having numbers. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're going uh, to Star Wars 9, just called Star. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> These wars. Oh, yeah, wars. yeah, the wars. It's the yeah, wars. Exactly. The wars. <laughs> All right. Uh, and and then the, the, last, yeah. Yeah, the last one back is uh, the new Saw. I think they're going to be calling it Spiral this time. Uh, oh, good. Chris Rock is coming back, I think, as an executive producer role. And I want to say also in front of the camera. Did you say coming back as in he's been involved before or? Oh, no. I mean, just. Uh, okay. Just out of curiosity, yeah. because that was one of the most uh, interesting things to me about this new one that's coming out. Um, I'm kind of neutral on Chris Rock. He's never been, you know. Um, super huge or influential in the things that I've watched. I mean, of course, he is in the wider world, incredibly huge and influential. Just in terms of my own viewership, he okay. never had like a huge, uh, huge role for me that that really kind of got him in. But 
I suppose it's just uh, not not the first thing you think about. Right. Uh, right. You know, not the first uh, choice I would make or not the most obvious thing. Exactly. So that it is so surprising intrigues me. I'm imagining his really bombastic like comedic style like as the killer is coming after him and it just ends up being a goofy kind of juxtaposition for me so <laughs> okay. i'm not sure if, if you can see it that way <laughs> I, I, i'm imagining i guess i'm hour. seeing it him trying oh. to be uh, playing it a little a little more low-key than <laughs> gonna be serious i see right. him i see right. him trying to kind of emulate uh what danny glover in the first movie i think he absolutely could i'm, I'm kind of just being uh being a uh, goofy here but yeah all right so i think that's about that's it that's for horror news for horror news we hope you guys are excited about those announcements as we are uh we're really looking forward to a lot of that that touches on some of our our favorite things of all time and you know some new stuff coming up um i did mention only very briefly in episode one uh about the witch uh and i want to just say here as well the witch is one of my absolute favorite modern horror movies top five if not top three uh and lighthouse was a trip and a half as well so yeah anything that um uh, I always get his name wrong because I, I mix it up with the... Eggers. The, uh, the Robert Eggers. Eggers Robert yes. Eggers. And who's the movie reviewer? Rob, Roger oh, Robert, Ebert? Ro Roger Ebert. Right. Yes. So in my mind, those are just like not happening. They just, they totally mix for me. Um, <laughs> anyway, with that, we'll be moving on to our main topic of today, which is Scream Queens. Uh, we spoiled this a little bit in our first episode and wanted to give you guys an idea of what you're going to be coming into today. And so we're going to just kind of jump right into it. For those of you who may or may not be familiar with the term, we're going to start off by defining what a Scream Queen is. The only difficulty there is that it's not necessarily a very defined or agreed upon term. Uh, there's kind of a nebulous thing that most people can agree on, but what we're going to do, uh, as with last episode, is give you guys a definition from each of us to try and paint the whole picture of what a Scream Queen might be. Um, so for me, a Scream Queen uh, is a female actress uh, that's iconic in the horror genre for playing multiple protagonists within horror movies. Uh, the term is used to denote a reverence within the fandom and, more recently, a feeling of female empowerment. Well, yeah, I don't think my definition is going to stray too much from yours on this one. I think there is a tendency to kind of conflate the issues of Scream Queen with Final Girl, as right, indeed a lot right. of Scream Queens are Final Girls. I think when you talk about their importance to the genre, those things can cross over quite a bit. Mm. However, I have a very, very broad definition of Scream Queen, I think. For me, it is an actress known for her work in the horror genre, sure. having played at least one super iconic role. Um, Ooh, is it just one, though? Do they have to have multiple? I would say it's either one super iconic thing that oh, you can okay. point to or uh, a vast body of work. Got it. Got it. Because uh, there's I think there's been a couple that may not have been in movies that have seen by been seen by everybody or sure. super on everybody's radar. But if you've just been in 20 horror movies, like you're you, kind of in the club. You count. You, you put in the work. <laughs> exactly. Cool. And it's not tied to for me. It's not as tied to any sort of particular role. Right. Either. It's not necessarily a final girl because there's definitely other super iconic female right. uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's characters also, and icons that are very much uh, different than that. Right. And also not necessarily a protagonist is what I'm hearing from you. And I did specifically put that in my definition because I think that's a little bit of a rift with us as well. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but I think for me, definitely to be a scream queen. Um, I kind of have to be rooting for you. I, I want to be following your goals and kind of have you on my side. Otherwise, if you're a villain, um, 
I think that muddies it a little bit for me. You can still be an iconic female villain, uh, and that's totally fine. Uh, but I just don't think for me that's the same thing as a scream queen. Um, so, you know, in case that wasn't confusing enough for you, if you haven't heard the term before, <laughs> that's kind of what we're working with. Exactly. I'm the kind of person that's all going to include a great, a great female villain. Sure. You know, if it's iconic enough. Hilarious, hilariously as well. I mean, I love my villains usually more than I love my heroes. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm strict with my definitions. Got to meet the criteria. <laughs> okay. So I can uh, see that. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So moving on, we're going to go on to the history of Scream Queens. Where did the, you know, the term originate? Uh, what did it mean early on to the horror genre? How were women in horror uh, codified and utilized? Uh, and what what roles did they play uh, within the genre? So looking into it and doing a little bit of research, um, the term scream queen has been around for quite a while. Uh, of course, women's presence in horror has been um, intrinsic to the genre since the very, very early days. Um, sure. In not only in horror, but in all fiction, uh, of course, you all have most likely heard the term damsel in distress. Uh, and in horror especially, that was uh, very prominent in the early genre to have uh, women to help evoke a sense of sympathy from the viewer, uh, have them scream as they're caught by the monster. And so the audience is then scared uh, that the, you know, helpless woman won't be able to defend themselves. And that kind of uh, brings the horror, at least back in the day. Uh, and it's possible that this is where the scream, the term scream queen actually originated, uh, was it was the female who was usually attractive, uh, back in the day and had a role in the story to basically, uh, scream as the monster scared her. Yeah, that's true. I think you can see that in, you see that trip pop up in quite a few older films, even in something like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari or Phantom of the Opera, what happens is the monster will kind of show up and gonna snatch the woman and that's the kind of impetus for the society's negative reaction to the monster right kind of it's a lot of this old kind of victorian and gothic horror the right. uh, horror right. tropes where you can if you're different you're ostracized by society but once you have this transgression well then society turns on you and it's right. this angry mob coming with uh, the torches and pitchforks absolutely absolutely <clears throat> <clears throat> And so um, there are a couple of films that along the way we're going to highlight as being sort of the outliers within this trend. Um, so we mentioned in this era of film, things like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari uh, and The and Phantom of the Opera and even something like Frankenstein can kind of codify this damsel in distress sort of narrative. Uh, however, King oh yeah, Kong... exactly. No, even in Frankenstein, it's him drowning the little girl right. that, that gets everybody all mad. But right. uh, I think even he uh, he enters Elizabeth's room and that's seen as a real breach sure. of, you know, of sure. conduct or what's proper. Absolutely. But Absolutely. I think the first thing to really break out of this damsel in distress kind of trope or archetype and really kind of do something a, a little different would be Fay Ray and King Kong. Mm -hmm. Kind of, of course, known for screaming, unfortunately. Right. Well, and she, I think in a lot of uh, people's uh, lexicons, ends up being the very first scream queen. You'll see her name come up a lot. 
Exactly. Um, well, de- well deserved. Absolutely. I actually kind of love this original Absolutely. King Kong Absolutely. movie. It's one of those original, uh, there's just special effects everywhere. Sure. It's like the 30s version of nonstop special effects. They were so blowing the budget, uh, folks. Hundreds of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they really did. Uh, but even uh, even in script, there's this acknowledgement. Uh, the One of the final lines of the movie, uh, "'Twas beauty that killed the beast." Mm-hmm. It's actually her presence. She's the only thing that has any sort Sort of control over the monster, uh, over King Kong, that has any sort of sway over what he does, um, and that's acknowledged yep. in it, yep. uh, at least. So I think that's why she gets the credit for being the first, is because that movie is the first one to kind of acknowledge the central female character as something other than that really kind of standard and basic gothic damsel in distress. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, And I'll say something now that I'm going to expand upon a little bit later, but horror is a genre of subversion. Uh, And part of making a horror work, especially a horror film, uh, is taking uh, societal expectations and turning them on their head. And so, um, unfortunately, something that has been with our society for quite a long time is, uh, you know, male dominance, patriarchy kind of thing. Uh, so it, what you'll see a lot in horror, horror that really tunes in well to that subversion is you'll see them giving um, women these strong and prominent roles and trying to kind of flip the narrative on its head uh, from something that you might have been used to seeing and something like uh, in, in, you know, 1933 uh, when King Kong came out. That's true. I think you see it start as something where the woman is in danger and she, not just that she's in danger, but that she exists to be saved by a male hero. Right. And I think that's kind of going to be the key thing that we see change yes. as we move forward in history. Yeah, the danger doesn't go anywhere. The danger don't, goes, don't yeah. worry about that. We're still all one step away from death here in horror. Um, yeah, so we move on from there and we have a couple of decades of film. And then in the 70s and the 80s, we start getting slasher films. Um, and this helps push uh, the female representation along as the term final girl Uh, starts coming around, or maybe not the term, but at least the idea of the final girl uh, starts being codified within the genre. So um, in case uh, you all aren't aware, final girl is the term usually uh, used uh, to talk about the last surviving um, person in a horror movie from like the group of protagonists, and usually it's a girl. Uh, And a lot of the times it can be kind of conflated with this idea of like innocence, uh, like the most innocent, the most good of the girls is the one that gets to survive. But that's not always how it is. It's just a uh, uh, a trope that kind of came uh, into light around this time, or at least came into vogue around this time. That's true. I think you really see that in just very few isolated examples, um, such as Friday the 13th. I think that's the one series that really hits the... Um, the virgin thing really right. super hard right. in the punishment readings right there's and a lot that's of honestly what turns me off about that right. franchise right. is i think if you look at a lot of the other and for me more influential franchises you see a very different narrative kind of pop up absolutely uh, than, absolutely yeah than this this standard following all the rules not not having sex not doing drugs yeah. or drinking alcohol you break the rules you get killed you, exactly right. i i just don't bit. see that as the most prevalent thing. I think Friday the 13th also suffers from being a little bit ham-fisted overall, not Mm -hmm. only in its attempt to kind of portray uh, innocence and purity as being this really revered uh, aspect, but also in how it's just 
Um, it's very violent and it's very straightforward and there's not a lot of subtext. It's not really trying to teach you any lessons or tell you anything about society. It's kind of failing on the subversion front. It's, uh, it's just giving you a bunch of teenagers that get killed, which, I mean, can be entertaining. Final Destination is another example of this where it's kind of just a bunch of people dying and, you know, <laughs> there's, I guess, a space for that in the genre. But uh, yeah, when we're talking about uh, you know, the stars of representation, um, the things that really bring Scream Queens out into their own. Um, Friday the 13th, unfortunately, is going to be kind of our uh, our negative example in a way. It really is for me, too. I think what you see in a lot of those lesser examples is a lot of the trends of the copycatting within the genre. Yep. When you kind of look at how these kind of narratives come together and kind of what codifies all of these tropes into kind of something that we call a slasher film right. or even the trope itself, such as a final girl, things are way more reflexive than actually intentional. Right. People are copying what's successful. And I think in the slasher boom, you have to look at what they were copying in the first place, which is Halloween. Absolutely, absolutely. And and that kind of um that kind of um almost incestuous relationship in terms of you just taking what's popular and continuing to do it over and over to the point where you're not really getting anything creative or anything new anymore uh, can can happen a little bit uh, both ways where uh, as we'll move on through the decades, uh, our next part here uh, is the 90s and the 2000s. And um, something happens here where with the advent of Scream and the popularity of Scream, you get a lot of um, movies that are coming out in just this PG-13, like, let's copy Scream and do a watered-down slasher uh, kind of thing. you saw the slasher boom kind of coming back. Sure. But in this kind of way that was really afraid to kind of, in, to do it in the way that the to 80s did it. To people. To and, really, yeah, yeah to really go full go and the gore right. and the right. and the sleaziness. Absolutely. I think they were afraid to make a sleazy slasher movie. Right. Well, and uh, I think even, like, just the idea of sleazy versus non-sleazy slasher, I mean, it's just kind of a silly distinction to make. Like, that shouldn't be what you're worried about when you're making a slasher film, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, if it, yeah, sure, if you want to keep yourself, your, you know, your head above water, so to speak, and not be a Friday exactly. the 13th, that's fine. But I don't think you want to go so far in the other direction that you just don't have any gore. I mean, like... That's true. They're also trying to respond to the changing tastes of the audience. Correct. Uh, something like the slasher was something that, boom... Uh, hit in 1978 with Halloween and kind of by 1984 was burned out. Right. A lot of the stuff you see after that were all of the franchises that were still kicking out sequels. Sure. But it really, you know, just consumed itself so quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, just to take a, a little half step backwards to, to finish out the 70s and the 80s, uh, there were definitely some strong... Um, female icons being represented in these movies. Uh, one that I'm going to point out, and we'll talk about a little bit more later as well, is uh, Sigourney Weaver in Alien. Um, oh, yeah. So she is uh, a total badass. Anybody who's seen the movie knows that they really put a lot of work into her character. She's very well fleshed out. She's very competent. Uh, and it's kind of, in my mind, a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways to see not only a female main character, but a female main character that doesn't get naked uh, and doesn't have any sort of um, objectification that you might expect. Uh, and instead, they just treat her like a really fleshed out She's a part character. of the crew. Yeah, she's a part of the crew. Uh, and it ends up uh, making that movie all the stronger for it. 
And to finish up with the 90s and the 2000s real quick, um, there's not to say that there isn't anything worthwhile in that period. Of course, it's two decades. There were still a lot of great movies that came out and a lot of things that did push uh, female representation forward. There just was unfortunately a lot of those copycat style um, films that came after Scream that didn't have any interest in actually bringing something new to the genre or especially have any interest in like creative integrity. Um, and you can really feel that within the genre. I think that's unfortunately uh, what led a lot of people to believe like uh, horror movies are just kind of trashy. Yeah, exactly. I There's an inclination to attribute the popularity of kind of some of those little more unsavory tropes to people's lesser nature mm. when you're on the outside looking in people see people rooting for the killer uh -huh. because they can see that you're in the killer's point of view stalking stalking these people literally exactly so there's i think there's a disconnect from some of the people on the outside looking in of saying well how are you sympathizing with these teenagers you're literally in the point of view of the killer right stalking this but you kind of have to see, take a step back and look at the history of where that comes from, which is those Italian giallo movies, mm. which were these murder mysteries that wanted to show all of the gore, but still needed to keep their murderer a, uh, a secret <laughs> right. so that their plot would work. Uh, so how do you do that? And you kind of would show the murders from this per first person perspective. It's pretty genius it's, and also hilarious a, in a way. I mean, a little bit of both it when really it starts is. getting played up and played out nope. to the point where like every 90s, early 2000s slasher movie has like a point of view, like heavy breathing killer, like <laughs> with his knife oh, as yeah, he comes exactly. down on someone, you know, but really the initial it's movement really easy is, to overdo. Right. Yeah. But but the initial movement uh, is, is kind of genius. I mean, in, in terms of those murder mystery style films. And exactly. So I think it was more accidental than something that was intentional, because when you watch it, it does make you uncomfortable. Putting you in the killer's point of view is something unnatural to your perspective and something that you don't necessarily want to do as a viewer. At least we sure hope it is. So I feel that someone like John Carpenter sees those movies and just pulls that trope straight up because he sees how disturbing that can be. Sure. And that's why it's in Halloween. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of thing. And I mean, I think Halloween being a great example of it just being used to incredible effect, uh, especially because he also still touches on those tropes from the murder mystery kind of things where it's not that you don't know who Michael Myers is uh, appearance wise, but you don't know anything about who mm -hmm. he is character wise, mm -hmm. uh, which is almost scarier. You can see him, but he's just a complete enigma. It's, it's just a, a force of nature, really. That's true. So... Also, when you're looking at genres evolving, there's not just the kind of looking at how you're putting those trips together, where they're all coming from, but you also have to kind of look at the evolving audience reaction to those things. And okay. a lot of the times the audience reactions or um, and the appropriation of the audience is something completely distinct from the intent of the filmmakers. Fair enough, yeah. Exactly. And I think even sometimes, even the filmmakers aren't 100% sure what people are responding to, especially in the horror genre. Sure. Something becomes a hit and you're like... Wait, what? I mean, give me, give me more, give me something more like that. Right. I guess. Right. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, you've created this subgenre of slashers that has all of these tropes that people yep. pick apart, and now they're set things. And I think we would not be remiss to maybe talk about Saw here a little bit as well. I want to say the first Saw was in the two thousands, right? Uh, yeah. Not twenty tens. Yeah. So, uh, in the sense that it was another thing that happened to spawn a lot of copycats and almost its own little sub 
subgenre. Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the torture porn. Yeah, the boom torture porn the thing. 2000s. It's a, a very similar thing, I think, that maybe happened to slashers with Scream, and uh, that you get to a point, and actually almost exactly parallel in my mind, where you have people that were watching horror around that time. Uh, both the Saw and the Scream time starting to realize, okay, maybe horror is not for me. You know, I'm seeing so many trashy Scream clones or Saw clones. Who would like this kind of thing? Uh, and in one hand, uh, on the one hand, it may be putting you in the POV of a killer, and that may be unsettling you. Uh, on the other hand, it may just be showing you really gratuitous uh, gore. Uh, which also may unsettle you. And I think that's also an evolution of viewership in the terms of like how desensitized the average viewer is um, to things like horror uh, and just scary things in general, uh, how that may have pushed itself through the, the decades. Uh, and also just an example of how um, Hollywood can be so reactive that it ends up being a detriment to the genre, especially mm -hmm. for horror. I've always felt that Saw was a reaction to torture in the news. Oh, is yeah. that, See, isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's more permissible in society. So I think it was one of those things where it was deliberately trying to be like, are we really okay with this? Wow. This is this is this is torture. Well, I mean, but uh, this is something that's approved at the governmental level that we're doing to sure. people. And the directors who won the first one. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I wouldn't put it past him because he's a pretty intelligent creator uh, for him to put that kind of subtext in there. Um, wouldn't be too surprising to me. I could believe it. That's true. When going back to the Scream Queens, I think I would put uh, the actress that plays Amanda, not a main character, not a main character, but she does survive her trap. And she also kind of takes on the jigsaw cause yeah. in the later sequels and right. becomes becomes one of the killers herself. Yeah, I definitely. So that's know. one of those super expanded definitions of the whole scream queen kind of term that I feel that's uh, a little more reflective in the modern ones. Horror icon, absolutely. Scream queen, I don't <laughs> think so. But that's just me. Uh, but yeah, I. Yeah, it's so interesting to me how much it changes throughout the years. And I think it changes based on how the audience accepts it. Absolutely. I think you, it may have been mostly an accident that made the, the 80s slasher boom. But I think what's important is that you people picked out that these women were not just damsels in distress, but they were actually able to turn the tables on the killer, yes. take the power themselves, mm -hmm. flip the tables, and save themselves. Literally empowering right. themselves. Exactly. Um, which we can uh, see reflected uh, even more in the 2010s, which we'll move on to now. Yeah. As uh, obviously our final decade, we are in 2020 now, so we'll see how the 2020s play out. Uh, but for now, we got the 2010s. Uh, and this is where, uh, in my mind, horror really begins to embrace its female representation and push the envelope forward when it comes to um, using the Scream Queen, uh, the Final Girl, or just the female horror icon as a uh, emblem of female empowerment. Um, it continues to uh, subvert societal expectations and uh, patriarchy by giving women more and more power. And you start having these very, very iconic female roles and series like um, something like American Horror Story Coven uh, and even the chilling adventures of Sabrina uh, going over to something we've already talked about earlier in the episode, uh, The Witch. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy being uh, one of the main characters, of course, but I think arguably kind of the focal character. Absolutely. Uh, and it ends, um, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen <laughs> The Witch, pause now, watch the entire thing, and then come back to us immediately. Um, the end of The Witch is uh, Anya Taylor-Joy uh, making a pact with Satan and going to join uh, a group of witches uh, naked, dancing in the woods around a fire uh, as the ultimate kind of escape 
from the bonds uh, shackles of the puritanical Christian society. I thought um, it was a solid choice myself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I, I, see I what agree. You mean. No, they're, uh, oh, no, her family is crazy in that movie. They're way they're too Puritan for the Puritans. Yes, it's they're, it's definitely framed in such a way that it's less of like you could, if the movie was framed a little bit differently, it could easily be like the um, disobedient. Uh, daughter not respecting her family and causing a bunch of trouble because of it. But um, Robert Eggers uh, frames it really brilliantly instead, uh, saying that it's really not about family at all. And the family uh, themselves are more just uh, the symbol of extreme, extreme uh, puritanical society. Uh, and Anya Taylor-Joy being, uh, you know, breaking away from that. Uh, and it's just a fantastic film. Again, if you they're have not their seen own, it, they're their own isolated unit. So yes, they're their right. society they, that in is miniature. society for her. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a brilliant, brilliant film. Uh, and I think that uh, those are the kind of things that, for me, codify uh, the modern horror films. And you see so many uh, things coming out uh, last decade that were interested in showing you more of the female story. Uh, in horror. And so that's kind of the whole, uh, sorry, the uh, history of the Scream Queen evolving uh, from a pretty banal kind of damsel in distress uh, sort of character uh, as it picks up steam throughout the decades and comes into itself a little bit more uh, and ends up uh, being uh, a key element of subversion within the genre, giving women their own empowerment uh, and pushing that forward. Absolutely. So I think we're going to be moving on to what some of our favorite screen queens right now or the most iconic ones. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Was there uh, one more thing you wanted to touch on or we got that? OK, perfect. I think we are set. So, yeah, um, that's uh, I think the the definition, the history. And we're going to touch on some of uh, through the decades, our uh, favorite screen queens, some actresses that we want to point out. Uh, as being really strong in one aspect or another. Uh, and as you may or may not have guessed, uh, Bryant's list is a lot of classics and my list is a lot of moderns. Uh, so Bryant, did you want to start us out? Yeah, absolutely. The one thing I really wanted to talk about is uh, three of my favorites that were in three of, I think, the biggest franchises, most influential franchises. Jamie Lee Curtis playing Laurie Strode in Halloween. Uh, Heather Langenkamp playing Nancy Thompson in the Nightmare on Elm Street films, mm. and Nev Campbell playing Sidney Prescott in Scream. Great choices. Uh, for me, these are the three that really exemplify it. Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, being the original. And and has really um, adopted that title for herself as well, being the Scream Queen. Absolutely. Um, for me, that's big as well. When somebody also embraces the culture back. 100%. Uh, and is super, super down with it. She's the loving mother of horror, and I too wish to... <laughs> be hugged by her. Yes. <laughs> oh, exactly. I hope I hope she survives the next two Halloween movies too. Oh man, can I you mean, imagine? <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. That's the thing. She's still in them. She's still playing Laurie Strode kind of with it all coming man. back. They really created the character that will never die, that will always survive, and that will last. She actually becomes Jason for the next Friday the 13th, 13th. film. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> she pops on the mask and shows yeah. him how to do it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man, that's funny. Um, but yeah, but past that, um, I actually think it's Nancy Thompson in A Nightmare on Elm Street that oh, becomes... Yeah. 
that's the one that is my ideal horror protagonist. Absolutely. Not just in a, a final girl sense, but in a sense of what horror means to me. Definitely. Going back to the last episode, it was my definition is it's a journey into your subconscious where you have to confront that evil kind of and then hopefully kind of come back up. And Nancy Thompson is one that does that. And it doesn't happen often. Uh, going going down into the dream world to, fi uh, to fight Freddy Krueger is literally my definition of what a great horror movie is. Absolutely. Um, and she is the one of the most proactive uh, final girls in all of horror history. It's great. Uh, she doesn't just kind of survive on a whim. I know kind of Lori at the end of Halloween is saved by Dr. Loomis just shooting Michael with six rounds in the chest. And, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, but Nancy fights Freddy Krueger herself. Absolutely. She takes that journey into the dream world, into her own subconscious, fights him and brings him back up into the real world and then kind of completely turns the tables on him, turns that cat and mouse game back on Freddy. Uh, yeah. yeah. So she is one of the best. And then in the sequels, the third one, she really becomes that guiding figure to the new group of kids that are kind of dealing with Freddy. And then also, I think really key to this reading is New Nightmare. I think okay. one of one of my favorite movies that uh, I really I really hope you've seen New Nightmare. Uh, but in, just in case you haven't, what it's about is the filmmakers, cast and crew, actors, actresses of the A Nightmare on Elm Street films starting to get Freddy nightmares themselves. Okay, and starting to kind of get picked off one by one. So you have Heather Heather Langenkamp playing herself, kind of starting to kind of get this stuff up, and she's forced to identify with her own fictional character to kind of find that strength, that survivor attitude to get through it herself. Okay. So it's almost this sense of using this fictional personality, this fiction shield to ennoble your to ennoble yourself sure to sure. kind of empower yourself in a way it's this very direct somebody's using this fictional character this role in a sure. movie in order to kind of draw draw strength from it so sure. i think that's a really direct uh kind of reference to yeah. exactly what we're talking about yeah. here and yet in the false self there is a trace of the true self <laughs> yeah. a quote by someone i don't know philosopher <laughs> um and then the last one scream i am a huge scream fan um and nev campbell holds all of those movies down um i think she also represents the kind of the complete transformation of a lot of these a lot of these arcs and how you see a lot of these tropes change through the ages in that one she's in every movie uh they're <laughs> right uh she's she's the main character in all of them she survives every single one she's never replaced right and the killer is replaced every single time mm -hmm. and a lot of the other ones uh, you know, the final girl from the first movie isn't necessarily there right. for the sequel. Right. And I think that's to the detriment of it. I mean, it's that character's movie. Sure. Uh, you know what well, I mean? I, Nightmare on Elm Street is Nancy Thompson's story, story sure. and Scream is Sidney Prescott's. It's kind of funny because we have this uh, kind of genre that will follow the villain, Yep. Uh, which is kind of anti-narrative in a lot it of is, ways yes it, it's against the traditional narrative structure 
Uh, and I will say that there is one actress we're both going to touch on a little bit here that has actually an interesting uh, interplay with that observation, the not being there for the second film. So I'll let you finish up here before we get into Sarah Michelle Geller, but that'll be our next oh, yeah. one we touch on real quick. I was saying, also bucking bucking trends that I I also personally don't believe in. Sydney Prescott also has sex in Scream One. She loses her virginity. Sure, it's directly pointed at. Yes, and she survives. And you would normally think in a horror movie, especially nowadays, now that. Uh, viewers are so familiar with the tropes, even like non-horror fans, I think would probably pick up on this. Um, that would normally be a red flag, like, oh, she's gonna die. Exactly, and it's one of those things where her being a virgin or not had no bearing whatsoever on whether or not she lived or died. Just like in real life. life. Exactly, <laughs> and I think uh, going back to Nancy Thompson for Nightmare on Elm Street, I think you kind of see that there as well. I think what you see is a lot of the people that die are the ones that are trying to avoid the problem. They're just trying to stay sure. up. Sure. They're trying to stay up late. They're not trying to deal with the issue. It, but it's her proactiveness and actually taking that subconscious journey. That that's why she lives, not because she abstains from drugs and sex the and, whole time. And that's also a great message as well, because I know Bryant has mentioned before that he's uncomfortable with the punishment readings from some of these very uh, much so. films yeah. where, oh, if you break societal norms, that's why the killer comes after you. I think that's especially pointed when you are dealing with uh, female led narratives. Um, you don't want to be the person nowadays that's telling girls that they can't have sex or do drugs or whatever else, you know, imposing those kind of rules. Um, it's just not where you want to be in the in the horror genre right now or really in society, in my opinion. Um, so I think that the strongest films are currently uh, the ones that subvert that trope, uh, just like the one that you mm -hmm. mentioned, uh, Scream, uh, where it's kind of directly saying, no, it's actually the fact that she's proactive about it uh, and the fact that she's empowered to make these decisions that enables who, her to survive the, the threat, which is much more realistic and also a lot healthier. Um, when you imagine being, you know, a young woman watching these horror franchises and you think about the fact that every time a girl steps out of line, they get killed. I mean, what kind of impression is that going to leave with you? Exactly. I, and kind of an extension of that note, uh, Boy, I think the ability of a horror audience is uh, to relate to these final girl characters is sorely undervalued by a lot sure. of people looking in. Uh, I, I swear, sometimes when you kind of hear the criticisms, it's all the killer-centric, the punishment readings. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, but these movies aren't wish-fulfillment fantasies about being like a paranormal being that stalks people in their dreams, seeking revenge on everybody that's ever wronged you. At least they certainly shouldn't, shouldn't be. be. And you can very easily tell when they're written that if, way and they're very bad. <laughs> if you identified with Freddy Krueger, I would be a little worried. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because you're you're identifying with the final girl. You're identifying with that character you're not also identifying with a lot of the other characters that kind of die, that right. are the secondary characters, uh, which can kind of be a little confusing. Um, sometimes what's specific within the text can be universal when applied to the audience. Absolutely. Wow. I kind of think about um, Joseph Campbell's hero with a hero with a thousand faces that kind of uh, taught me this, is that when you have a destined character in a movie, Sometimes it's really easy to have someone complaining, oh, what makes them so special? They're destined and everyone's not. Sure. Well, that 
that's the difference between the fiction and the reality. Right. Is that as the audience, every single member of the audience is putting themselves into that destined character. We all get to be special. We all get to be special. <laughs> when you have a single destined character in a fiction, it doesn't mean that destiny applies to only one person. That actually applies to everybody in the audience. Sure. It actually enable, ennobles everybody and not just a specific one or few. And, that's and I really... think that can also be applied to this final girl stuff as well. Definitely. I think that's a really cool way to look at it and almost a more uh, interesting and engaging reading than the um, hero thing, which is absolutely true. And everybody loves to put themselves in the shoes of the hero. But if people uh, approached it the same way, uh, approached viewing the final girl as they did the same way they view the hero, uh, a lot more people may be able to get something out of horror than they thought they would. Oh, exactly. I mean, you talk about trying to get something out of a text. If you're not identifying with the main character, well, then I'm not exactly sure what you're getting out of it. It can be tough. It can be tough. Exactly. So those are my those are my big three. Cool. I think I'm about to kick it over to you. Say, what are your some of your favorites? All right, so uh, you all just heard Bryant's um, favorites, uh, some Scream Queens that he wanted to highlight. Uh, and like I mentioned just a moment ago, Sarah Michelle Gellar uh, is a big um, a big icon in horror, uh, perhaps largest known for oh, for Buffy, me. As, yeah, absolutely. You know? For me as well, uh, I'm kind of a huge Buffy fan. Absolutely. And I think it's easy to say that Buffy is probably her most iconic role within the uh, horror field. I, um, admittedly, have never seen Buffy, so I can't say much about it one way or the other. Um, but I know that it is hugely influential, extremely iconic, and it at least has horror dressing. Exactly. And kind of going back to what we're talking about, about the evolution of the genre, uh, she kind of represents an end game to the woman stalked in an alley trope. Yes. Um, the, I don't know if you've heard, the original pitch of Buffy the Vampire Slayer was cute blonde girl walks down an alley alone at night, is threatened by some supernatural monster, which she just stakes in the heart and problem solved. God, that's awesome. It some, <laughs> it's still like, I would still watch that today. If that yep. came out 2020, I'd be like, yep, let's go. We're in. Exactly. Uh, still super, <laughs> super cool. Uh, and so my uh, unique experience here lets me also put a little bit of a spin on the Sarah Michelle Geller thing here uh, as a scream queen, because she also starred in the American Grudge. Um, which honestly she did pretty good. Uh, I wouldn't say that it was the best script ever. And when we're looking at adaptations, it was not nearly as good as the ring. Um, but it did have its strengths. She did play pretty well, uh, as well as she could, I think, given the constraints that, that she was given. Um, but the main point that I want to make is that she does return for the American grudge Two. uh, spoiler alert. Uh, at the end of the first grudge, she burns down the house, or at least attempts to set it on fire to put an end to the curse. Um, at the start of grudge two, she is hospitalized in Japan, um, but in the hospital, Kayako attacks her. Uh, and so what she's actually done by burning down the house is not destroy the curse, but unleash it on the rest of the world. And the first uh, set of scenes is, is her um, uh, being killed, throwing herself off of the hospital roof. And the uh, movie then starts with her sister coming from America to try and investigate what happened. J-horror always has the most, no, you're doomed. No, you're still doomed. Oh, and it's completely, it's completely random too, which is great. There's a small, small tangent here, I promise. Um, <laughs> J-horror is so not interested in 
the American readings of like reason or punishment behind things. And I think that is why it can be so scary at times because the horror is really truly random and bad things just happen to people. Uh, and you they either survive have, or you don't. They can have really specific rules though. Yeah. What I've always kind of found intriguing about it is the, like the ring videotape, you have exactly seven days. Sure kind of stuff one missed call you have exactly so much time before this thing's gonna get you well in the grudge uh, original premise was specifically um if you enter this house you are doomed but i mean if you didn't ever go near the house there it's impossible to get haunted by this thing um so i mean i don't know there's parameters sure but i think that that doesn't do much for the person necessarily i mean Let's be real, viewers. In real life, if you're dared to go into a haunted house or if you're dared to watch a spooky VHS, you probably don't think that you're going to be doomed for eternity. Uh, and that's what the characters are thinking in the movies. But unfortunately, that's, that is what happens. Exactly. You can't casually break those rules. No. Nope. No casualties here. Uh, but going back to uh, yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar for a bit, I also want to mention, I just think she's a brilliant actress. Yes. When you look at that, uh, that her isolated kind of scene in Scream 2, uh, I don't know if you recall the specific one, but she's the sorority sister mm, okay. uh, where she's kind of in one scene, but it's this big 10 minute long like oh, horror okay. set piece where it's kind of trying to recreate Drew Barrymore at the start of the first one sure. with Sarah Michelle Gellar because she was super, yeah, she was super hot at the, at the time. She was Real huge. Big, yeah. uh, I think it was coming off of I Know What You Did Last Summer oh, as, yeah. uh, okay. as well. So it was Buffy, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Scream 2, Grudge. Got it. Uh, uh, so yeah, no, that late it. late nineties, two thousands, yeah, that's she was our, really on it. She was a she was an icon. So love I love still it. is an icon for me. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and again, I'll say it again. Grudge uh, is my favorite horror franchise, and so she has a very special place in my heart as well. Uh, I've watched the American Grudge dozens of times, uh, as well as the second one. Uh, anyway, so yeah, moving on to a couple of the uh, other Scream Queens that I would love to highlight. My first one is going to be Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, I love this actress to death, and we're skirting the line a little bit here because she's really only starred in one big horror thing, and that's The Witch, but she also had a role in Split, which was M. Night Shyamalan's new kind of weird thing about the uh, uh, villain who has uh, multiple personalities and has some kind of odd physical things that uh, happen <laughs> within those uh, personalities changing as well. He kidnaps a couple of, of girls and holds them hostage, and Anya Taylor-Joy is kind of the main character trying to escape. Um, between Witch and Split, she is just a fantastic actress. She's also also in New Mutants, which was initially billed as the horror Marvel movie, uh, which leads me to believe that I think she's mm -hmm. kind of getting into this Scream Queen role, though I did not see New Mutants. Uh, and unfortunately, I think that it did not really live up to that. There's a lot of I've changes. I've definitely heard people talk about Anya Taylor-Joy as a Scream yeah. Queen and bring yes. up New Mutants as one of the roles. Of course. Just yeah. to kind of uh, to kind of maybe pat it out. Absolutely. But I think she's definitely getting there. I think we mentioned earlier she's going to be in Robert Eggers' newest one. And, and I mean, so that's going to be another one. There we go. There we go. I look forward to hopefully another decade of her being in horror films. Uh, Annie Taylor-Joy, just an absolutely fantastic actress. Uh, and I think that she really um, brings something unique to the roles that she plays. And that chess one on Netflix isn't bad yeah, either. Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit. I I, my yeah. roommate was kind of watching it. I yeah. was kind of uh, reading and watching it out of the corner of my eye. It's, yes, exactly. It's, it's not bad. Yeah, she does some other stuff as well. She's uh, She's been um, in some other movies and 
Now she was in the newest Emma adaptation, Emma? I believe. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Glass, which was the sequel to Split, which I have not seen. Uh, I guess That's she true. did a voice in the new Dark Crystal, which is cool. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, nothing to dislike there. Anya, you rock. Yeah. Uh, moving on, I'm going to actually shout out Emma Roberts here as well. Uh, as Scream 4. Scream 4. It's in the name, folks. Scream. Well, Scream <laughs> Queen. Come on. You can't be mad about that. I think I liked Scream 4 way more than everybody else did, apparently. <laughs> you know, nothing. I, I haven't seen it. So that's that's it's, fine. Hey, well, it's got one of your scream queens in it. We yep. have to give it a go. Abs I absolutely do. Uh, I know her mostly from her iconic roles in American Horror Story. I mentioned Coven oh, before, right. yeah. uh, and she was in that, and she was really fantastic in that. Um, we kind of joked about it a little bit, episode one, but uh, admittedly, neither Bryant or I are super enamored with American Horror Story. I've seen a lot more of it than he has, and I find them very entertaining. But I would I would say they're very um, middle of the road series in terms of like pushing the genre forward or having a lot of creative integrity. Uh, I think they are pretty Hollywood um, horror uh, in the sense that they're never too scary, never too disturbing, but they do do some kind of weird stuff. Uh, one that I'll mention, uh, American Horror Story Season 5 Hotel um, is oddly psychedelic and has some pretty disturbing scenes and also has some pretty great actors and actresses. Uh, one of the Scream Queens who I'm going to finish up with, Alexandra Daddario, again, also my favorite actress, uh, is in uh, Season 5 of American Horror Story. Uh, and I think at times the series can certainly get there. Uh, it's just not something we're going to tout as, you know, the end-all be-all of horror television, um, especially because Bryant doesn't watch a lot of the series, the television series in the first place, much more of a film guy. That's true. <laughs> you, I, I, every now and then I'll look at uh, sitting down to a TV show and you're like, this is 10 episodes, this is 10 hours. Yep. I could watch five movies. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because I'm almost the opposite. I uh, really do love movies. And of course, I watch a ton of movies, but uh, series uh, are so much more digestible to me for some reason. They're I tend comfortable. To watch a lot of you can come back and you already Absolutely. know. Most of it, like, you know, like you're going to advance the plot, but you already know who the characters are. You kind of know the basic premise of it. I'm also um, a sucker for serials in general. I love stories that continue and I'm not as big on episodic stuff. Um, so it's that weird kind of situation where uh, I could watch a whole franchise, but it kind of ends up being an ep like episodic entries, uh, whereas I could also watch a TV series and it's going to be one full plot line, See, uh, which so, appeals to me a little bit more. That's kind of so weird. I don't know why I'm so resistant to this current TV one, because I definitely love serial stuff. Sure. I'm a huge comic guy. Sure, sure. I'll follow a never-ending comic series. <laughs> um, I'll follow a never-ending Doctor Who. Sure. But like, And... Uh, just as a quick aside, listeners, there are some fantastic horror comics out there as well. Uh, we haven't decided uh, if we're going to talk about that too much yet, but just to put it out there, please go check it out if you haven't. There's some Actually, really I'm just going to come right on in with a, with a comic recommendation for you. I, I, had, I had it on my news and I just kind of didn't do it. But um, Gideon Falls, my favorite current horror series, is ending next month in December. Uh, it's going to have this big, huge, like 72 page final issue. Um, I just caught up myself. I had been buying them monthly. Um, and I'll be honest, it's a little complex to just kind of read 24 pages a month and kind of still kind of keep track of. So it had built up a week or two or a month or two ago. I just sat down with my whole stack, read the whole thing out. 
and just died. Like this, <laughs> this series is so good. It literally it killed is, him, folks. Yeah, exactly. Get in there, check it out. <laughs> it was great. It's like it's like half David Lynch, half Stephen King. Ooh. Um, Ooh. It's really Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, okay. It's really Twin Peaks, Black Lodge kind of stuff with like Stephen King's multiversey, like Dark Ooh. Tower kind of. I actually didn't realize there's a multiverse like, aspect. That's cool. Yes, there's a multiverse aspect. Okay. And it's okay. Really weird. I did not realize it at first <laughs> but yes how interesting um, all right i will real quick shout one out as well yeah, then uh fun. harrow county Ooh, uh, yeah. is another absolutely fantastic um horror comic series if you ever have the chance to check it out uh they do have library editions currently nice big beautiful hardbacks uh that's kind of how i usually like to consume them uh like brian said it can be a little bit tough trying to go from um you know 22 to 24 page issues just once a month uh, Harrow County is also finished up as well, I believe. I've not read the whole thing, so I can't really attest to that, but the stuff that I have read, oh boy, it's good. Okay, and now I'm going to move on because we are running up against our time here a little bit. Uh, but Emma Roberts, she has done some fantastic stuff, and uh, she really brings a lot of energy to her roles. Uh, she brings a lot of fun and a lot of levity in some ways without... Um, kind of breaching what the movie is supposed to be about. So it's always nice to see her starring in something because you know you're going to have a lot of fun with it. Uh, and that's something to be said about that uh, in a horror movie. Their performances um, always seem to be really considered they're in, very, in yes, their balance. Absolutely, um, absolutely. I think you're going to really enjoy Scream 4. I can't say too much. But yes. Um, uh, and also, I just got to say uh, as well, she did also star lead role in the comedy horror series scream queens so that's right she counts to death <laughs> all right i'm gonna move on here i also really really love a uh, chloe grace moretz this is an actress that took me maybe a little bit to kind of come around to but i think that I'll she admit for me as well yeah i'm not sure exactly what it was i don't nearly know Hit girl was her big blowout sure. um which i do like kick ass i yeah, I don't know if fine. I was sold on her, despite how amazing right. the Hit Girl character is. I completely agree. I completely agree. Kick-Ass was a fantastic film, uh, a lot of fun. But I think it took me... Um, oh, Bryant's really going to be mad at me for saying this. Uh, it took me the uh, modern redo of Carrie... <laughs> Sure. Um, for me to realize that, oh man, she's actually pretty good and she's got some stuff going on. And and I started um, looking for her name a little bit more and kind of following what she was doing. Uh, and I actually, I liked it. Um, I'm not going to go into it too much because again, I don't want to uh, make Bryant mad. But um, uh, between Carrie- I, I haven't seen it. I oh, will say, oh, okay, cool. I will say, uh, I I unfortunately, she is not one of my scream queens because she's in two remakes of movies that I love to death. Yes. And I refuse to watch the remakes of they're because pretty... they're like my favorite movie and you don't just like remake your favorite movie. There's so much that goes into it besides just the general plot. So okay. anyway, but here, Carrie let's... and the Let the Right One In, Let sure. Me In. But we did watch actually another remake with her in it that you did like quite a bit. If you remember, she was in Suspiria. That's right. I do like the, I did kind of like the Suspiria remake. I've, it's not even close to the original. I loved that movie. movie. The new Suspiria the was amazing. Oh my gosh. I can't say uh, good Luca, about uh, forgive me if I butcher his name, but Guadagnino. Uh, Guadagnino. Uh, yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, I actually just got hella sold on him too. I'm sure. watching his current HBO miniseries. Okay. The We Are Who We Are, um, and he 
absolutely sold me okay. 1000% going through that. So I may need to uh, go through and kind of revise my opinion on his whole filmography. Fair enough. But well, we're not talking about art house Italian right. directors. We are talking about Chloe Grace Moretz. Chloe Grace Moretz, who I think, has, <laughs> I think she's really, really come into her own. I think she's figured out what, what uh, roles work for her as an actress. And I think that the stuff that she's coming out with nowadays is really fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, Chloe, you're killing it. Uh, keep doing what you do, and I love uh, what you're doing with the horror movies. Keep making it. And I actually want to shout out, before I move off of Chloe, one non-horror role that she was in. Okay. Um, the Clouds of Sils Maria, which is kind of an okay. odd an odd art house movie, but she was so effing good in it. It was great. Um, the Clouds of Sils Maria, it's about an aging actress played by Juliette Binoche, who has this new role in a new movie. Um, Kirsten Stewart's also in it, by the way. She's the actress's like personal, assi personal assistant. Uh, she had a great role. She is playing so against type mm. uh, in it, where she's kind of like, like nerdy, super booky, okay. kind of okay. like know, knows everything, super connected on her phone kind of thing. Um, she had a great performance as well, but Chloe Grace Moretz is playing is playing like the tabloid starlet okay. that the, that this actress is also cast with the 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 starlet that the news media hounds who's always doing ridiculous things is making all of the you know splashes in pop culture nice um, and Chloe kills it that's awesome that's she awesome. is she is so good in it um, and I just had to say before we move on no that's uh, perfect that was what sold me on Chloe as an actress that performance was amazing that was uh, the clouds of Sils Maria and you say that's an art house film I couldn't tell with the title. Like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to my very last one who I did mention a little bit earlier uh, in the podcast as well. Uh, Alexandra Daddario. I'm going to mention her name whenever I can because she's my favorite. Uh, but she actually played in a couple of different horror things. Um, she played in uh, We Summon the Darkness, which was a 2019 thing a little bit earlier. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. That's yeah. A little bit earlier, she did American Horror Story Hotel. A little bit earlier than that, she did uh, True Detective, which while not horror, does some weird kind of spooky stuff and uh season one you know you get a little bit of um a little bit of a little uh, metaphysical it, it a, well it, yeah it feels a little hannibal at times you know which which i think makes those wires cross for me a little bit but the big one the one that cements her as a scream queen in horror she starred in texas chainsaw 3d baby that's right that's right i actually set that up earlier in the episode because I knew we'd be coming back to it. Case she closed. But episode over. We're done. <laughs> that's, that's it. We're out. Oh, We're that's out. it. Uh, film Fiend signing oh, off. No, no. Uh, kidding, of course, but uh, just wanted to give a shout out there. Um, I feel like so first of all, Texas 3D was bad, of course. So we don't have to dwell on that too much. Uh, but Alexandra is a, a very... Um, a very talented actress and the things that they do put her in uh do get a little bit of elevation from that uh american horror story hotel she plays a uh, vampire character kind of opposed to lady gaga who's also a vampire in that series uh and it's a really fun dynamic a lot of tension there uh and both of their performances uh while kind of unexpected um are like electric they are very very good 
Well, fantastic. I, I Admittedly, I have not seen American Horror Story, so I cannot speak to that. She is a fantastic actress in what I have seen, though. I gotta bring uh, up some And you stuff. mentioning We Summon the Darkness, that's been on the back burner for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a peek at that. Yep. I gotta bring up some stuff that Bryant hasn't seen before as well sometimes. So, <sighs> you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <sighs> okay, and so those are all of the Scream Queens that I wanted to highlight, and I think I'll turn it over to Bryant. There's a couple more names we just wanted to fire off at you before we go. Exactly. Before we get out of here, I just gotta shout out real quick Sherry Moon Zombie. I love the baby firefly character sure. in Rob Zombie's uh, House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. Um, and then the newer one, it just became a trilogy lately from the uh, Three from Hell. Queens of uh, Salem, what is it? Something. Oh, Lords, Lords of, of Salem. Salem. I'm thinking yes. Queens because Scream Queens, of course. Of but, course. And I actually love Lords of Salem. Just saying. That's funny. That's been the one that we disagree on. That's, that's the one that wasn't Rob Zombie enough for me, I guess. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, Sherry Moon Zombie represents the kind of scream queen being blown up into something kind of completely wide open and it's really no longer tied to the trope of the final girl. In fact, she's an iconic horror character that is the villain. Yep. Yeah. And again, I think she is definitely a female horror icon, but I would not call her a scream queen. Sorry, Sherry Moon. <laughs> well, I disagree. I love you. <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. Oh, keep doing uh, it for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just got some old names to throw out real quick. Um, I love Barbara Crampton um, from the From Beyond and Reanimator. Sure. Sure. Uh, it's sure. my favorite Lovecraftian kind of body horror stuff. Um, and then, just for honorary mention, Barbara Steele, Linnea Quigley, two actresses that were just in dozens and dozens of horror movies in the 80s. Sure. Uh, where you look at their filmography and it just kind of blows anybody away. Um, so, yeah. Love you, Barbara Steele, Linnea Quigley. And then, before we get out of here, well, another personal favorite of mine, a little maybe a little more obscure, Catherine Isabel. I okay. love Catherine Isabel of Ginger Snaps and Ooh. American Mary. Wow. Uh, Ginger Snaps. I think huh? she's, for me, she is iconic. Maybe those movies aren't the most widely seen, hmm. which kind of uh, maybe a nice little preview for our next episode. Yeah, we might talk about that in just Let's a minute. <laughs> Alrighty, viewers yes. and listeners. So um, now we would normally do I Know What You Watched Last Summer. Uh, but because we were running up on time a little bit, I'm going to let Bryant just mention uh, one of the things he was really excited to talk about. Uh, and I'll go into the things that I've been watching lately next episode. Uh, really, the only thing I was going to mention anyway is Haunt. Uh, but we will go ahead and talk about that next time. Brian, there was one you wanted to mention. Absolutely. Uh, the best movie I've seen since we last recorded is Cronenberg's uh, The Brood from 1979. I think it's an early masterpiece. I think it's his first masterpiece. You can't go wrong with Cronenberg. I think a lot of people will point to Shivers as the first really big one. Or sorry, not Shivers. I'm dumb. Pardon me. <laughs> I want to see if I can edit that out. Scanners. <laughs> Scanners being the first uh, David Cronenberg classic. Uh, but audio, I actually think The Brood. Bleep that, please. Yeah, exactly. I think The Brood killed. Um, it had a great Howard Shore score. Uh, who you may know is doing kind of the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. So this was something oh, a few decades earlier, back in 79, for an earlier work of his. I'm now imagining Cronenberg with just a really, really epic, epic like fantasy soundtrack <laughs> as people are like getting body horrored. 
<laughs> oh yeah. So it's one of those movies. It's hard to describe it without giving away too much. It's one of those super mysterious, odd things are happening, mm. and then it kind of all comes together. But it's it was driven off of his divorce oh. and kind of follows. Um, it's at its heart is a custody battle for a child. His parents are splitting. Uh, but that kind of gives disservice to how Cronenbergy it all gets. All right, it well, gets uh, pretty out there. Well, at least I know ahead of time, so I don't have another Midsummer <laughs> on my hands. Oh man! But anyway, The Brood. Uh, I think it's the first David Cronenberg masterpiece. I can't recommend it highly enough. Beautiful. Alrighty, and so with that, we'll give you a little preview of our next episode. The main topic is done with, uh, we've done our horror news, and we've done a little bit of uh, I Know What You've Watched last summer. Next episode, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be a new recurring type of main topic that we're calling, yeah. You Haven't Seen That? <laughs> I'm uh, really excited for this one. <laughs> so basically what we're going to do is we're going to pick out uh, one movie each that the other has not yet seen. Uh, we'll both watch it and then we'll both come back with our reviews. So this is going to be the closest to a single movie, movie review episode that we'll probably get to. Uh, we mentioned in episode one, just talking about the podcast overall, that we're not going to be devoting too many episodes just to straight up reviews. We usually want to try and say a little bit more about them, but we thought it would be really fun because we both have very distinct um, catalogs of things that, that we watch to challenge each other, uh, each other to watch something new and come back with our thoughts. Exactly. I'm always trying to see stuff I haven't seen before too. So this, you know, and if it's going to make me watch something, I'm totally down. Absolutely. And uh, I also get to make Alex watch something too. Yes. Which I will never turn down the opportunity to do. Hey, I've seen a lot of fun stuff uh, at Brian's recommendation. I've seen a couple things that raised some eyebrows, but for the most part, uh, I had a really good time. Uh, we did. Un I did unfortunately watch Antichrist with my girlfriend uh, at, at Bryant's recommendation, he didn't recommend me watch it with my girlfriend. Mm. I just didn't. No, get, that was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just didn't get adequate warning as to the content. Uh, Bia, my love, if you're listening, I'm still sorry. <laughs> so I guess I should apologize too for that. <laughs> All right, uh, and just to give you guys uh, a little heads up, uh, I am going to be watching Ginger Snaps, the movie that Brian's mentioned a couple times this episode. Yeah, yeah, that's actually one of my favorites. So that's I right. cannot wait to see what Alex that's has right. to think about that. And um, what Alex is assigning me is The Conjuring, which is crazy that he has <laughs> not seen it. It's kind of the big modern franchise. My God, there were seven. Seven it, it now. Sounds right. Um, sounds right. So yeah, uh, <laughs> I was just ignoring them because uh, sometimes ghosts aren't my thing. And ignore there's no just longer. Kind of a lot of them. Yes, I can ignore it no longer. You must empower yourself to take on the ghost. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, ghost hunting, if you will. That's right. Alrighty, <laughs> listeners. Well, with that, we are going to wrap up today. Thank you so much again for joining us for Film Fiends Episode 2, talking all about Scream Queens. We hope you join us next time. Have yourself a great night. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.